Gonna have a real good time together. We're gonna have a real good time together. We're gonna laugh the child together. Have a real good time together. Guys are pros. Uh, sort of. Uh, so you were saying, four, so they actually played four hours or that's something what he, like they, that. Yeah, that's what he claimed. He was, I mean, I th- there was an interview where he was saying that, you know, they showed up at this, the, the Roxy and played for maybe, yeah, did like four sets and just like kept on going into the night. Maybe everybody had left by the end of the, the whole thing. I'm not sure, but. Damn. <laughs> so uh, w- welcome to Jokerman Podcast, by the way. That's what you're listening to. When you're just like going in media res with these people, just kind of talking about about uh, a Lou Reed. I almost said Bob Dylan. A Lou Reed bootleg. And yeah. that's right. That's why you almost said Bob Dylan. This is our first Lou boot. We that's haven't done true. all of the beautiful boot episodes that we did on uh, Bob. The beautiful booters. Uh, this yeah. is the first one we've Pretty done. Pretty good stuff. Those for, bootleggers. Exactly. Make. First one we've done for Lou. Uh, I'm Ian. Evan here. Evan, and we're thrilled to be joined once again by bootleg expert uh, and Tyler Wilcox, ladies and gentlemen. There he is. Welcome back to the program, Tyler. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you back. Tyler is like the tireless warrior at the forefront of posting cool uh, random shows from like the late 20th century of rock music that you didn't (laughs) know that you needed. He does this all the time. He's, you did it very. You did it today. You play. You posted a Tom Verlaine at the Viper Room show that I was just listening to as I was kind of like yawning and getting ready for work. Was that just today? It was just today. It's been Jesus. a long day. Yeah, I feel like that was four days ago already. <laughs> you get up at the crack of dawn to post this uh, type of stuff. Just got so a lot we're, of. We're, we're thrilled to have you back. Great. Right this is my your, favorite, you know, Lou Reed yeah. bootlegs is my favorite topic, probably. Hell yeah. Yeah, and you, uh, this topic, uh, this was a, a choice of, of your your very own here. So for those at home, I guess you've seen the title already. We're talking uh, what goes by claim to fame as the bootleg title, Lou Reed Live at the Roxy in Los Angeles, December 1st, 1976, uh, joined by the one and only Don Cherry on Sorry. the trumpet. Um it's fucking. So, like, I I gotta admit, I don't know about you, Evan, but like, I know I I know way oh, less. Oh, you don't about, know Don like, Cherry. You don't know Don Cherry. <laughs> well, I mean, besides Don Cherry, just the like the whole world of Lou bootlegs compared to like Bob bootleg. Like, I am yeah. not nearly as like knowledgeable or invested in that world as I am in the Bob world. So, like, you're gonna be at least for me, you're gonna be schooling me, Tyler, and probably yeah. Evan too. Great. <laughs> um yeah no i mean it's not you know it's not quite as as rich as is the is the dylan you know i mean there's probably you know thousands of lou reed shows that were not taped as opposed to a bob dylan you know tours in the last 50 years or so there's pretty much a tape of everything um, every show basically yeah exactly. almost 
virtually. Um, but you know, I mean, there is there's a, there's a good a healthy amount of of Lou Reed recordings out there. Um, and this one is, you know, I mean, I feel like this one is maybe one of the I I don't know when it was first bootleg, but it was probably bootleg pretty early. It was on vinyl. I remember seeing it back in the old days. Um, it was a radio broadcast on KMET in Los Angeles, I think. So it Beautiful. was taped off of that and then turned into a, you know, a bootleg. It's been under a few names. I think there was one called Sweet Lou. Um, could have been called a lot of things. Very, very yeah, right, right. <laughs> See, that's like a whole world of, of exactly, bootleg yeah. Titles the bootleg we titles know. we haven't done like with the, all of the fun that we had with Positively West Fifty Second Street. <laughs> we get to do that again with the Lou Reed catalog, <laughs> Sweet yeah. Lou. Oh well, Sweet it'd be uh, it it would be uh, up to it'd be Positively One Twenty Fifth Street. There yeah, you yeah, know. yeah. Positively One Two Five. I mean, there's there's a bunch of what other bootlegs from around that time. There's one called Liquid Air. I'm not sure what that's a reference to. Liquid um, Air. Interesting. Liquid Air. There's uh, Master Class. I don't even know what that's a reference to. <laughs> These are great okay. times. Um, killing yeah, there's they a, bunch of, more, a bunch of different... You know, do you think that maybe the people who are doing Lou bootlegs are fancy themselves a little bit more like poets than the people who are like <laughs> yeah, the sycophants for Dylan? Thing. Yeah, like the Dylan yeah. bootleggers are kind of just like bowing at his, like kissing his feet and like bowing right. down, and the yeah, Lou maybe. bootleggers are a little bit more arrogant. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean I think that's true. I feel like you probably will get a lot of. I mean, you're going to talk to a lot of people. People have a lot of different ideas about Lou Reed and a lot of different axes to grind. <laughs> so you know. So we learned. Nice. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, it's it's a rich it's a rich tapestry. Oh, it's a stuff. it's a rich tapestry. It, well, well, what are we talking about today? Let's just like get into the time and place of this yeah, bootleg. Seventy six, December seventy six. Yeah, so end of the year. This is post Rock and Roll Heart, which is the latest yeah. new record that we've covered on uh, our journey through the discography. At this point, you get some Rock and Roll Heart okay. material here. Yeah. Uh, at a couple points, um, and but really the star of the show here is is Don Cherry. I mean, there's no two ways around it. So maybe yeah. give us just like a brief, because I know you're a jazz man. You're jazz. You're jazz head. I'm a jazz man. Uh, <laughs> He's a jazz man. On, yeah. uh, on top of uh, on top of a Bob and Lou scholar as well. So maybe just give us a, a brief rundown of the whole Don Cherry experience. Yeah. Why Lou was so psyched to play with him, and how this all kind of happened. Yeah, I mean Don Cherry. I mean probably the the primary thing, or at least where he got started, was in um, Ornette Coleman's sort of original band that kind of, in you know, to make a long story short, sort of kicked off the free jazz um, like revolution in the late fifties. Um, so he was, you know, they started out in Los Angeles and then they went to New York and kind of caused everybody to get super excited um but he went on you know i mean he's he's basically like the ultimate i don't know i mean like even just just bringing him into trying to box him into just jazz is kind of hard to do because he jumps around i mean he played with john coltrane and sonny rollins but then later in the 60s he makes almost sort of like electronic records um and then he collaborates with terry riley um he's oh wow on an, he's on an alan ginsburg record he's on alan, wait, wait. he's hit like all of dj our run that Damn. back alan ginsburg record uh <laughs> some of our listeners might not know that alan ginsburg had sort of a musical career 
He did some stuff <laughs> Music, with, uh, sort sort of a musical career. Well, he, Arthur Russell. Dance. He was very yeah. connected yeah, Arthur with Russell Arthur Russell. Um, and Bob Dylan, uh, uh, Vomit Express, going down to yeah. Puerto Rico. A song about uh, fucking young men and and uh, <laughs> in Puerto Rico. That yeah. Bob Dylan plays. I don't know what on a flute, maybe yeah. a guitar. Yeah, yeah, he's he's jamming on it. Um, yeah, no, I mean Don Cherry. I mean he basically. It seems as though Don Cherry was a guy who, if you asked him to play, he was ready to play. Like he plays, you know, he's got a whole career in Europe as well in the 70s as well that is sort of like this big, you know, like a bunch of different stuff. He was, you know, his music sort of turned into kind of like a big pan global thing that Mm -hmm. um, kind of covered every type of, you know, Eastern music, African music, American music. But then, I mean, he has like very strong roots and just straight R&B, really. I mean, that's probably where he came up is kind of doing the kind of very like, like the kind of thing that, that Lou might be interested in. But, you know, I mean, at the same time, Lou was you know, you'll read about him. And he says that he was going in the early 60s to see Ornette Coleman um, going around in the village and seeing these, he was like, a, you know, a heavy, like jazz guy. He was, you know, a hip, hip young man going hep, to see this stuff. Hip cat. I hear you're yeah. mad about Bruce. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Probably a better taste than that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that he liked all that sort of stuff in the early 60s, and it was probably like, you know, to some extent what was in the back of his mind. I think that he said that he wanted to do something, you know, like when he played guitar on the Velvet Underground, it was like he wanted to sound like Albert Eiler. He wanted to sound like Ornette Coleman, but he wanted to do that through the, you know, through the guitar and using, you know, amplification to, to make that happen um so i mean you know he was and and i mean you know he in at syracuse i mean he has you know like you almost would be like like yeah surely you were you were probably not into that stuff at that point that wasn't really but even at syracuse his um he had like a little publication like a zine almost like a proto zine Mm -hmm. that was called lonely woman quarterly um and that's (laughs) off of of the ornette coleman song um okay so it's like he's like he's got bona fides who had a zine Lou. Lou did. I just want to make sure Syracuse. that I got that right. That Lou had a what is it a zine a thing in what year would that have been? Yeah, I mean it would have been like sixty two. I mean it was like a it was like a little poetry journal or a something. pamphlet, yeah. a proto yeah, zine, yeah. just like the Velvets were proto punk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean he's you know obviously very passionate. He had a radio show at Syracuse that was mostly jazz, as far as we know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I mean he was you know he was super into this stuff at some point. So it's like you know, when he encountered Don Cherry, which seems to be, as far as I've read, for this these shows that he was playing with him on the West Coast, it was like pretty much happenstance. Like the the sax player in his band knew Don Cherry somehow and just ran into him and was like, do you want to play with us? And Lou was like, like get make sure that he plays with us. Make it happen. And yeah. I don't think that, you know, I don't think that Don was you know i would i'd be surprised if he was aware of lou reed maybe he was maybe he i mean he's you know he's also a hip guy he might have known some of that stuff sure can Uh, we just talk up top what is this i mean for the listeners at home who know nothing i'm sure about what this bootleg sounds like can we each kind of just describe it in like a few words? Like try to like give like a sort of summation of like fucking crazy the, is what it sounds like. Yeah. What's the vibe of this particular extra, bootleg? 
extra dimensional, like uh, uh, interstellar liftoff. <laughs> I'd say I'd say extra cheese, extra extra corn. No, yeah, it's, it's very like I mean it's it's like hard jazz funk. It's hard but, cheese. Like, yeah, hard cheese maybe. I mean, yeah, it's, it's like, like it's cheesy. I mean, if I can extend that just a, a moment, if you'll indulge me. It's like okay. I, you know, there's cheesy music, and then there's Lou Reed making cheesy music, which is yeah. like actually different. It's like it, yeah. When he does cheese, he's doing fully. It's cheesy. It's corny, but it's like it's like funky, like really kind of fucked up cheese. It's like the type of cheese that makes pe- that like only uh, real cheese heads get into. Well, and it's that, super committed. I mean, it doesn't sound like he's trying. You know, it's not like he's doing some kind of like he's not like being ironic about it. You yeah, know, anything got, like, that has a 12-minute long version of Kicks that's this <laughs> fucking intense, like, I have a hard time <laughs> describing that as cheesy under any circumstances. <laughs> well, I mean, it is, I, I just feel like this band, I mean, and this is the band that he, I mean, for the most part, he's going to play with for the rest of the 80s. I mean, it's sort of, there are people who come and go. There's, I mean, there's going to be a different guitar player, or, I mean, there's no other guitar player other than Lou on these, on this on this um but you know the the core band is sort of this thing that is going to exist for the next five years which is a long time in lou reed you know lou reed universe it's like he doesn't necessarily keep bands around for that long um and this but it i i guess it it's fascinating to me because it's just like this is a decade after the velvet underground formed and he's still playing Velvet Underground songs, but it sounds like, I mean, it really is just another solar system. It's like, how could this be the same stuff? But right. it's the same songs, same guy. He's doing it. Um, so, yeah, it's just like a very, like, radical R&B reinvention thing that he's doing here. That's like, he's, you know, these guys are not people who are, I mean, you know, yeah, it's like. These are not guys who he plucked from like the punk scene or something in New York. It's like these guys are these very like accomplished <laughs> kind of yeah. kind of session dudes who are like really he, into it. He finds Rolling himself him, yeah. in a, a really weird and interesting position. I feel like, and this is a good example exemplar of it. Is like you know early on with Transform, as soon as Transformer, Lou Reed is kind of like getting the goods as far as like session players and arrangers and people who can make his songs sound as good as they can possibly sound, or at least their version of how good it could sound. That's why Transformer is like such an iconic record, because it's like low-key a David Bowie-esque record, something he wouldn't ever do again. Yeah. But because he just... He achieved a certain level of acclaim. He just like I, I just think it's worth noting that this is a point where you're starting to see that like the cachet culturally that he got from association with Warhol, from uh the success relatively of his endeavors up to this point, affords him the opportunity to like pluck out musicians who are like really good yeah. if he wants to. And yeah. so you get something like this, which I mean is a show where Lou is able to just kind of like go hog wild and he's backed by like consummate pros and that's his decision. And it's something that kind of just goes on through the rest of his career is like this thing of, he knows what's good. He, he gets those people involved and then he is able to just be himself on top of that. And I feel like that's kind of what you get on this show. Yeah. I mean, he just gets, he just gets to like, 
you know, I mean, obviously he's in a lot of ways a limited musician. You know, he's not interested in being a, you know, e extremely slick musician. But like he he obviously thinks like if I can throw myself on top of this, then I can, you know, make something interesting and original out of it. And I, you know, I mean, I think that's mainly kind of how he worked in the for the rest of his career almost. I mean, he didn't it's not like he he went for I mean, he loved the amateur sound, but he wasn't like I want to be surrounded by amateurs <laughs> right well yeah i think this is like a reaction against like the first couple instantiations of his live yeah. project like when he was working with the tots and stuff in 72 yeah. and 70 and like that was just such band. a exactly just like 19 year old kids who were like starstruck to be playing with lou reed and they just sounded like they came out of the garage basically and like what yeah. is this three years after that and he really yeah, sounds like lot. yeah he's just got like uh, like the wrecking crew behind him basically plus don <laughs> cherry on top of that it's and um, a lot of cocaine maybe too oh, I'm not sure. <laughs> possible. it's possible you think did they I have wanna, like did they have cocaine in 1976 <laughs> this is sure. the second this is the second yeah, uh something. uh live show at the roxy that we've talked about recently Wait, this, this and, is the this is at the Roxy, just yeah, like Stand the in the Roxy. Fire was. You that know, was... that just like occurred to me. I didn't even realize that this was in Los Talk Angeles. Talk about cocaine. Yeah, so I mean, that's the, the Zevon thing. And then a couple of years before this is the Neil Young shows that opened the Roxy, which is was the debut of um, uh, the Tonight's the Night era. Right, for that's Neil right, Young. yes. So it's a site for just dissipation. I don't know, you know, like just, you could step outside on the Sunset Strip and just, you know, like... Cool dudes having happen. a good time and everything <laughs> is going really well and according to plan for everyone involved. It's a it, The Roxy is a place where you have the last good time that you're going to have for a minute. Yeah. Have you guys been there before? I mean, have, yeah, you, of course, have you seen yeah. shows? I actually don't even know. I saw Foxygen um, there. Oh, okay, did you? Yeah. yeah, friend, yeah. friends, the pod, Foxygen. It's a small place. I mean, that's sort of the thing. Is like, um, I'm pretty sure that. I mean, you look at other shows from this tour, and he was playing bigger places than this. I think that this was maybe like a maybe specifically done for to like get a recording to send out to radio stations, right. or maybe even a live album. I mean, it sounds like it could be. You know, I mean, like potentially this could be like an official release. It sounds, you know, the recording is good enough. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if they would do it or not. Um, but well, I'm looking. I'm looking at crazy. the set list uh, right now, or set list FM, and because you sent us another one of these bootlegs that we are not going to have time yeah. to talk about because we've already gone way long. We haven't even started. But the Santa oh, Monica yeah. Civic show from like a few days earlier, yeah. like that's a big ass. Yeah. But that's that's like three, four thousand yeah. seat cap something. Um, and yeah. the Roxy, yeah, is like 10, 20% of that tops. So like clearly this like was 300, 400 people. Yeah. yeah. Something. And, and it's a really like, I guess I don't know what it was like in 76, but I would assume it's similar to what it is now where like half the club or like 40% of it is devoted to like booths for like A&R guys to come and sit yeah, yeah, and yeah. order drinks and just like scout. Exactly. It's a very industry heavy kind of spot. Um, yeah. so yeah, it's, uh, it's well, a very we sh I should interrupt you right now so we can talk about the record. Otherwise we'll never start cause this is just kind of too fun to talk around. Well, hey, this, this has been a, a jam, an extensive jam uh, to start the episode. Jam. Just no, like right. this set just starts like with, it starts with that jam. There you go. Seven that minutes. That jam that I'm listening to right now, which is like, you sent me this Ian and I put it on and I was just like four minutes in just being like, wait, 
Am I listening to the right video? Like, yeah, is yeah, this yeah. really how? Is this actually how it started? Chaos. Then Lou Reed, Lou Reed over the top of it, doing like kind of insane, you know, Boston Tea Party, like 69 stuff on, you know, I mean, this is like him going back to that because he hadn't played guitar like this in a while. Like you don't you don't hear that much in the in the bootlegs of him playing this sort of wild, scronky stuff. But obviously he was like, Don Cherry's here. I need to like get step up his game yeah Yeah. that's how it always is with with the people that he respects he's kind of like i'm gonna do something like that one where he's doing the uh perfect day with Pavarotti, and he like tries to do like some like runs with his vocals and they kind of just fall flat but like you you know he's like he's pulling them out he's trying yeah it's it's all the big names where Lou really feels a sense of like uh, competition. The John Cales, the the yeah. Robert Quines, the Pavarotti's, the Adam Sandler's, the guys that really yeah, bring the ones who really, bring the, the ones who really bring the fire out of it. The Adam Sandler's, uh, Don Cherry, Adam Sandler, <laughs> these great musicians that we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, this is just a fucking insane way to start a show, though. So, like, it, you know, yeah. people at home, if you haven't heard this before and you think, like, oh, what, Lou Reed doing jazz rock fusion or something, this can't really be that jazzy, that crazy. Like, just put this, <laughs> yeah. put the first seven minutes of this on and you are through the Stargate already. Just like, well, because right, let's, right let me just be clear, it's barely Lou Reed. So it's like, well, I think part of this show, like, some of the best moments in this show and, and the, the intro is like the clearest, simplest, most straightforward example is when the songs kind of like fade to the background, like the music, right, fades to the background, and they just get the opportunity to let Cherry stretch his legs and let Lou vamp and do Lou Reed shit, in this case, on the guitar, but in many other cases, uh, you know, actually singing and and performing. Yeah, Um, Yeah, I mean, his vocals are wild once they get going. Oh, yeah. (laughs) They're fired up. Uh, well, so let's uh, let's just get there because uh, we got to yeah. get there eventually. Uh, sweet, <laughs> sweet Jane. Okay, I- I'm not the only one here who like noticed that, like the dichotomy, like the the shift between <laughs> the way that that intro sounds and the way that Sweet Jane sounds is like yeah, he's busting in. It's comical. <laughs> like, it's, they got to get there yeah. eventually. <laughs> It's a funny, I mean, it is just like, I mean, you know, you, but I mean, it's kind of funny because it is like, you know, rock and roll animal. People wanted the the jam intro and then it's like, okay, here comes, here comes Sweet Jane. We need to, you know, like, it seemed like that was kind of like a, like a um, signature for him or something, having that opening jam and then moving into Sweet Jane. Right. Um, you get a lot of the sax um, happening. Marty Fogel, who's, who's um, kind of tootling in the background. Um you know, I mean, it is again, it is just kind of this funny thing where I'm like, like, these guys are, you know, guys who, yeah, would be like hired to be on a, I don't know, a Billy Cobham record or something or, you know, sure. like some some like really like high flying fusion thing. And then it's like, here's Sweet Jane. We're going to play <laughs> these, these chords. 
for the next seven minutes and we're gonna just sort of like like groove with it go with it uh, yeah. but it is yeah it's a funny like i mean it, it is just like and just again the fact that this is uh you know five years six years after loaded and how radical the the shift is in the vibe you know yeah i mean you think about bands now and you're like nobody does anything like you know like bands now they have a, a song that people like they just play that song <laughs> think about think about the rock and roll animal suite jane that was three years before this it was yeah, late yeah, seven, yeah. like it this could not Incredibly be different. fucking further from the the guitar yeah, acrobatics and fight like it's yeah. it's wild uh but that i mean that's that's part of what's so great about lou uh you know I, you know obviously yeah, this is uh, saying uh, something that doesn't even need to be said but like these these old chestnuts that he keeps in the set list again and again and like sweet jane waiting for my man heroin um really wild like side. <laughs> wild side exactly the, just the way they they kind of stick with him throughout his career and he reinvents them again and again and again there it's it's like a real it's like an acid test like if you just yeah. want to see where Lou Reed is at at a given year in a given moment you know in a given stylistic movement just listen to those versions from that year and you're going to learn everything you need to know basically about what's yeah. going on yeah, radically different uh, vocal approaches. <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna get in every every passing year. Um, so yeah, I mean it is. Yeah, it's like it's always it's always interesting. You know, yeah, it's like you put on one of these shows and you're like, like what is which Lou Reed are we gonna get? Yeah, exactly. Which where were we at in 1976 versus you know where are we gonna be at in uh, 1984 or something? Yeah. Right. Um, he does. I mean, I will say just as far as vocals go, I mean, he does just sound throughout the show. He just sounds mad. Even on the set, on the on the uh, the mellow sweet songs, you're like, like, man, he's just like he's kind of raging. <laughs> I, believe I believe in love. The like, first of several rock and roll heart tracks. And really, really, like the, kind of... this is like rock and roll heart live. Like to me, right. listening yeah, to this exactly. was like, this is what you get if you were to go to like the rock and roll heart tour. That record um, makes so much, those, these songs make so much more sense, just coming literally the last episode we recorded, Tyler, was Rock and Roll Heart, just the regular, but right. hearing these songs again in this context versus on the record, like, they yeah. make so much more sense, I think, in this fucking whatever this is versus yeah. the, the you know, recorded LP version. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Rock and Roll Hard is a weird record. It's kind of a slightly mystifying. I actually just, someone just sent me a an alternate mix of Rock and Roll Hard. Of course. <laughs> this is, this is you know, someone slipped me in the back It's alley. like extremely um, your kind of shit. And it was, and it actually sounds a lot better. It sounds mm. more like, um, like a band. There's something weird about the production or maybe the mix of Rock and Roll Heart that makes the band sort of fade into the background and become kind of like a mush. Right. This is like a little more of a, like it feels more like a band record and feels more of a piece with this, uh recording you can kind of get get more out of it um but yeah i believe in love weird song too <laughs> then we go into lisa says which is like i don't know all these versions have that same quality they all have this kind of like that review you sent me in or you sent me something about like uh, a critique of this show that was like oh well it was cool but like it didn't feel very rock and roll to me. Right. Well, that was yeah, that was the uh, De Curtis. That's from uh, Anthony De Curtis's book. He he discusses this sh this specific show, the Don Cherry Encounter, very briefly. Is it this? Is it the sax that doesn't doesn't do it for you? 
Are you? Are, no, is, it's is not it... me. Is this was just like a, <laughs> a review of it? I mean, it is interesting. I mean, it is like I mean, mid seventies must have been when the sax was kind of like the big thing for um, rock bands. Like everybody kind of started to get get sax players in their bands at the time. I don't know. I mean, I feel like he probably, from what I've read, it's like he he felt like he sort of lost control of himself at some point you know like post transformer post berlin he sort of was feeling like i mean he hated sally can't dance he you know like obviously had to cleanse the the palette with metal machine music and then and then coney island baby was sort of reintroducing the idea of him as a guy who can do a bunch of different types of songs he's not just like this dissipated kind of insect or whatever he can do a bunch of um he's like a an accomplished songwriter to some extent sure and then i think that yeah i mean i think rock and roll heart is an extension of that in some ways i mean it definitely like but then also yeah just kind of like him reasserting himself as a performer i think that this is like him really saying like this is how i want the music to sound right you know because he could have at the time i mean i think that maybe one of the reasons that people get off of the boat at this point is because it's like he could have really jumped in on the uh the punk bandwagon and not that they mm-hmm. wasn't inspired by it to some extent but he definitely wasn't like he wasn't about to I, do that Curtis makes a really interesting uh point about that in that little snippet that i sent you evan in, in that 76 is when like the punk shit is really starting to like pick up some steam back in new york and stuff yeah. and like and this is as far away from punk yeah. as lou really ever he's got the tootling fucking horns and the jet the, yeah. it's all blown out and and that was the critique and, of that of this show was like oh it didn't really feel very rock and roll and like it's only a certain points at the, in this show where like you you realize though that he is accessing something very punk and very rock and roll and it actually has to do with the complete um freedom he he feels like by going with his muse at that moment which is totally against the tide like in a way he's actually being more punk by just being like you know what like I know punk shit. Like I know this this kind of like uh, abrasive, pr- uh, primitive stuff is cool right yeah. now. But I'm I'm actually like <laughs> not gonna do that. Yeah, it's uh, it really is illustrating that it's it's about so much more than just kind of like the costume and the pose of punk. Like it is m- so much more for Lou than just wearing the leather jackets and playing the two chords on the shitty guitar and the three. Looks because that's kit. the it's, norm. When that's the norm for someone, like that's the norm, that's every day for Lou Reed. Like we've learned at this point that like Lou Reed is not somebody who needs to be impressed by like going out to like a cool club where people are wearing leather. Like he does that on Tuesday night, but like when he wants when other people are sitting at home podcasting. (laughs) That's right. And I, I think this is the point when. It like starts to like because we've talked about up until now so much with the, like the Lou John contrast. Like John is kind of ahead of Lou in these first couple early years of their solo careers in terms of like more avant garde, more artistically successful, more kind of like you know worldly. He, he's got a world exactly. <laughs> and, and in the mid late seventies, seventy six, seventy seven, you know, obviously uh, up to you know early eighties, John just kind of sink sinks into you know, the CBGB scene and, you know, just like being, you know, kind of embracing this role as like the, the godfather or one of the forefathers, one of the godfathers of that, that whole punk rock scene. 
And this, yeah. like, it really is kind of daring of Lou to, like, he's not rejecting that with this kind of sound and this project necessarily, but he is going as far fucking the field as he possibly can <clears throat> in the other direction, regardless of what kind of reputational harm he's going to suffer or what other people might fucking think or what the newspaper well, critics I, are going to write about. I think that it's actually really forward thinking is what he's doing, because I think regardless of what's happening with punk, I think that Lou Reed recognized that he was in a very rare position to define rock and roll at this point. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I mean, you know, yeah, I think, I mean, I think he fully understood punk. I mean, I think that, you know, I mean, he was around for all that stuff. He has like the best, there's some quote of his, maybe the first time he saw the Ramones and he said something like, like, you know, they're so great. They are their own dream. Um, and I was like, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, that's like exactly correct. Of you course, know, that's a, that's a good way of saying it. But I was like, you know, but but I think that he wasn't like, like I should be, I should sound like the Ramones, even though I mean, I guess probably Rock and Roll Heart, the banging on my drum is maybe his version of a Ramones well, song. Or exactly. We just talked about that. And he sort of said or alluded to that, but that that idea they are their own dream is like yeah i mean totally i feel like that's like maybe maybe like the main thing that you know i mean he's like like he's his own dream you know like that's well, that's like he has this other i mean the thing about him that i think comes through here which is maybe something that draws people to that makes certain people turn away from lou as an artist is that they get this feeling that like he cares more about other music than he cares about his own he's not really his own dream. Like he's kind of like always trying to piece this thing he loves together with his own ideas about it. But yeah, he's I not purity is not a thing that he, you know, like he doesn't have a pure thing. Well, he's, going yeah, on. he's like, not like coming up with his own like idiom. He's like trying to just combine things he loves. And I feel like there's this kind of like thing that happens with people who are like really into early Lou, where at some point they're like, Oh, He's starting to act like kind of just like a fanboy of other music. And I love him because I want him to be like this kind of all-knowing, omnipotent rock genius. And he's really much more like connected to stuff that is a lot more like universal and has a lot more of the earliest bits of rock music in it. He has so much respect for early music, you know, early rock and roll music, that he uh, even just sort of turns this into a freeform bebop jazz show uh, on the next song, <laughs> Kicks, uh, oh, <laughs> which man. is... Uh, Highlight is of the whole thing. Really, yes, yes. This is it. Hey, man, what's your style? How you get your kicks for a living now, 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 now. What's your style of hey? How you get your adrenaline flowing? How you get your adrenaline flowing? Yeah, I think that's. The, I think it's like the. I mean, as far as as far as like you know, the Don Cherry and this Everyman band that he's got, it's like a peak for sure. Is you know just being incredibly, incredibly intense, incredibly like, I don't know, sort of sort of horrifying in a lot of ways. It is insane. Um, the like, fucking like pretty hey. captivating though. The drummer. Wait, who's the drummer here? Uh, that's Michael Sikorsky. 
he's, he's on something. Fucking he's crazy. Off, like the, the great you, Michael Sikorsky. Do you, did you notice how like completely locked in he is to doing those tom hits like every time? Like there's this almost like Jackie Liebseat pattern. Like it's like sounds like fucking can or something. It's so des- it's so committed to like this like repetitive robotic but like totally lithe and fluid pattern it's like i was just kind of gawking at how good this drumming is yeah Yeah, and i think that's like i mean i think that lou is responding i mean i think he usually responds to drummers i think that's probably like his main focus as far as his bands go um you know and i mean you listen to take no prisoners it's the same drummer they're you know like in a very kind of like they have a relationship (laughs) <laughs> they're like they're like very much very much playing off of one another um but the kicks thing and again yeah and it's a great showcase for don cherry i mean he has like some pretty wild moments in there and again it's like one of these impressive things where i'm just like you listen to other stuff that don cherry was doing in the year of 1976 and let me tell you it doesn't sound like this <laughs> <laughs> it's not narrating a fucking experience murdering people they're trying to come on to he you has some of like the most there's there's a record from early 1976 that's recorded in it's like a it's a live performance it's in italy um and it's don cherry and his organic music society and it's like this incredibly beautiful incredibly like you know like spiritual jazz experience it's just like it has one you know like incredible sounds and then it's like a couple months later he was doing this and you're like this is like the most malevolent thing i've ever heard yeah just the most sicko shit you can imagine the more like this is this version of kicks makes so much more like this is like this is what kicks always should be like i I, i've always loved this song on coney and i could never really explain why because it's such a weird just kind of hang out it's an outlier on the album yeah it's a shaggy dog kind of song but it's like it's a really necessary kind of like different you know different flavor on the palette than you get on the rest of that record um and but not like hearing this version of it where you've just it's so fucking stretched out so languorous and you can really just sink into it and cherry's doing his thing and lou and it's just one chord Basically, I mean, I think it's, it's insane. And Lou sounds like a fucking like I don't even like a Dracula or no, something. No, 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 like no, 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 no. He sounds yeah. like a murderer up on stage. Like it's he is He's killing him, killing inhabiting him the entire fucking spirit of this song in this particular version. And it's like, yeah. man, but this is the first moment where kills it. What I was talking about, like and figuratively. It, it comes through that, like, yeah, he's not sounding like uh, punk music. No. But he is absolutely... Intensity. Yeah, the intensity, <laughs> his own version of intensity, if I want to impress any, like, idea that I this show gave me, it was that, like, he's got, like, his own version of being intense that will come through one way or another, even if, like, the idiom he's more attached to at that moment isn't, like the hip thing he'll do a version of like doo or like jazzy uh rock music that ends up being like so um like extreme in one way or another that it, it, it's tantamount to punk music it's the same effect you're just kind of like like he's going very far with whatever this, he's doing up there. This is as hard as fucking Sister Ray to me. Like it, it just like this particular yeah, performance it's... is in a totally different way, but like that sa- it has that same fucking like just venom. Well, it's like vigor. I mean, it is just a, it's an interesting thing to have like the yeah, just have these guys playing this like 
raw music. You know, I mean, they're obviously, you know, as we said, the drummer is off the chain. I mean, he's doing, you know, incredible stuff, but it's like, like these guys would never make this music on their own. It's not something that they would be interested in doing, but right. Lou Reed is sort of, <laughs> sort of forcing them. Yeah. Into, able to kind of mash zone. them all together and force this out of them in this just yeah. completely weird, like one-off uh, yeah. uh, circumstance. Yeah, no, I definitely think, I mean, the kicks on this is like the thing when I first heard this, I was like, because I mean, I think probably the same experience where I was like, what the hell is this, you know, like, what is this band doing? And then kicks comes on and you're like, well, I mean, they're like fucking doing something, man. They're like, (laughs) you know, like this is this is like sort of they're not like uh, trying to, you know, like it's not playing Sweet Jane. It's, It's doing their own thing. And you can tell that the band is kind of like like responding to that you know opportunity to right. do this like pretty insane stuff I, yeah i mean i can't think of anything else that really sounds like this at this time period other time periods maybe other bands should should listen to this you know now and, and base their whole sound off of it i don't know yeah yeah stop uh, fucking mining you know 1983 <laughs> for you know, of sound yeah, exactly. that's what i'm yeah. saying though it's like there's so many bands that kind of like they're still stuck on the punk thing and even as the punk thing was taking form and being like so good at its early stages, like Suicide was about to make their first con- do their first concert. Well, well, maybe that is actually the thing that this maybe most sounds like is Suicide. Well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, Suicide it actually does because Suicide. If you go into if you listen to Suicide, knowing that they love doo-wop just as much as Lou Reed, yeah. Yeah, you start true. noticing that that's really the foundation of that group. Um, yeah. And and fucking television. They also kind of have some of this DNA, you know. They're they're oh, really they have like a, they have like a vocal group kind of thing going on, like I yeah. mean, something like Prove It or something is like a weird kind of I don't know. Like, they were they were covering Thirteenth Floor Elevators at one point, like they yeah. were kind of which is itself kind of just like a perversion or an extension of like bluesy a beat group or something. <laughs> yeah, there, there's all these connecting threads that like really at this point are like one degree removed from the earliest. Uh, rock music and there's ways that they diverge and shoot off and after this point it accelerates really quickly yeah yeah no i mean i I feel like it does genuinely sound edgy (laughs) that's the word that maybe is the only thing that i can you know come up with it's like it's like it does you know surprising shocking unexpected like it it, like no one obviously i mean it it goes without saying no one is going to do today what lou reed did fucking 50 years ago but like you just you cannot imagine in a million years any sort of band not even doing this particular left turn that lou's doing but any sort of left turn that is at all kind of analogous to what he's doing here after the you know the three because he'd been a solo artist for four years at this point like yeah. he'd been so many different places already it's like just the 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 adventurousness and the the willingness to to follow whatever fucking muse presented itself that morning you know when he got out of bed and looked in the mirror like it's i mean 15 yeah. minutes earlier he was playing i believe in love you know it's exactly like, <laughs> <laughs> like it's a it's a, it's a shift uh if we could uh, just well, maybe, I mean, we're, we're going long, so I, I do want to just, for the sake of time, I, I would like to yeah, just keep point out, like, moving. what the, well, just, like, what the set list is, because really, if we're being honest, I think this version of Kicks kind of says everything you need to know about what this 
it's the thing it to go to if you're gonna if you're gonna listen to this this thing i mean it's like so yeah i mean it, yeah it goes on i mean she's my best friend i mean i love that song um he does again sound very angry <laughs> he sounds insanely pissed in this song he sounds like breathing fire hey let me see. The other thing, I mean, I, I think I, yeah, I was, I was listening to this, I, you know, I was like, we should probably give a shout out to Michael Fonfara. Fonfara, is, that's uh, right. Who's, who's the, uh, the keyboardist. The I think man. he was basically, I think he was like the, the musical director for this band. You know, I think he was probably like Lou's right hand man for this, however long. I mean, he was with him until 1980. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple quotes in the De Curtis book where, uh, in the context of the, um, the rock and roll heart stuff, um, where it's like Clive Davis is telling Lou like, Hey, you got to do this and this and this, and it'll be a successful, it'll be a hit baby. Uh, and Lou's like, yeah, no, I don't want to do that. And then Davis goes to to Fanfara and says, like, hey, he <laughs> <Yeah>. trusts you. <laughs> yeah, he'll listen to what you say. Yeah, can you pass this along? It, 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 literally, game of telephone. Uh, and Lou still didn't do it, obviously. Yeah, and that's yeah. why Rock and Roll Heart is Rock and Roll Heart. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, he, he sort of seems like Lou's uh, Tony Garnier at this moment in time. Uh, to some yeah, extent. I think so. I think that he was the guy who probably translated maybe a lot of what Lou was going for. Right, um, right. And yeah, so yeah, I mean, what comes next? There's waiting for the man, which yeah is another twelve and a half minute long excursion. Insane. And Lou is uh, just playing these enormous fucking chords on this. They yeah. just like just like like one every three seconds, basically, just like earth shaking single chords. And then yeah. just like Cherry is driving the entire thing on top of that. It yeah, just Cherry really gets is... on top of everything. Marty yeah. Fogel too. I mean, he's the the sax is definitely kind of kind of raging along with it. Um, I mean, it's yeah, it's like a jam. And I mean, it is you know listening to that episode you guys taped about music and music and words 1965 it's like insane <laughs> that this is the same song that they're Jesus. playing yeah, i mean I it's mean, just sort of a sort of a, a a testament to lou reed's i mean he just doesn't care you know like he wrote he does not care i think that we're, if, if we're being a little bit uh if we're being honest about this show it's a bit um it rocks it rocks a little too much, you know. It's just about like Lou Reed's total recklessness to his own catalog. Yeah, yes. it's it's symbolically rich and important, but like I get why the reviews of the show were like ultimately kind of mid because like <laughs> it's so it's such a bombardment. Like there's not really it's kind of got um before the flood disease where it's like. All or, impenetrable or after the flood, whatever it's called. <laughs> before the before flood. the flood. I was right the first time. Yeah, yeah. It's where it's like it's just kind of so dense and uh, and hardcore the whole time. Like there's not really a lot of dynamic yeah. shifts. Well, but I mean, it, it, like it feels I'd a say little the, bit the, like a, yeah, burdensome to listen to. Yeah, I'd say the one thing. I mean that the, that version of heroin that isn't on this bootleg, but it's on that box set from the same shows. Gives you that other note. It's totally. actually like it like opens things up in mm -hmm. a way that I'm like, well, I mean, maybe the show wasn't entirely like just this like like intense, you know, like hour of like yeah, just being assailed by this by the sound. 
because it is like i mean that one is incredibly dynamic in a way it's like mm. it, you know is they drop out almost entirely at certain yeah. points it's like See, that's, that's such a, such like a slow that. burn yeah it's on it's on uh, that thought and expression thing uh okay. that's probably easier to hear than anything else on this bootleg See, I, that is the same thing that, like, generally, though, this show has, like, the same thing that happened with Stand in the Fire, um, which, you know, I gave three stars, but on, on further thinking, it's a two-star one for me, I think. Ugh. The energy is just exhausting. <laughs> yeah, well, it's just, like, it's not just that. It's that, like, you know, I kind of don't go to Lou Reed for just that. I want him, like, I know that he can do something more sensitive and the best shows, like truly best shows, are the ones that somehow make both happen and you don't even really notice, but they both are there. And this yeah. one, just like Stand in the Fire, which like, yeah, I'm just coming out and saying, actually two stars out of three. Still Ooh. great, but like, sorry, ahead. but like, I, I won't edit it, but it's just like, um, I'll also give this one two out of three. Um, just spoiler We're not even alert. at the end. <laughs> yeah, I don't care. I mean, I'm just kind of like talking about it. Now, I'm just giving it like how Lou doesn't care about this show. You know, he's kind of just going, winging it. No respect for the format. Getting into it. I guess probably, yeah, like mid 70s. Well, I mean, I guess most of the 70s since he gets started and you know his live shows i feel like he is just i get the sense of him just hurtling through the 70s right like just kind of like like there's a you know dead end street that he's that he's headed towards um 90 miles an hour down a dead end street. 90 miles an hour down a dead end street Um, (laughs) as if anybody listening to this is gonna the three of us get it that's all that matters no that's true I think that was like I think that was like Lou Reed's favorite Dylan song, wasn't it? Yeah. it I think he talks about it. I, th- I think like, you're right. Like, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. like a great line. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking stupid. Um, yeah. It is good. Game, I love that song. That game. It's like you know the real thing. Yeah, it's a good song. Good but yeah, no, I mean, I feel like there's just this sense of like a very like, yeah, like you cannot. There's there's no stopping for Lou Reed in the '70s. He really is like very very forward moving um and that's for for good and bad but it's exciting you know and then you get sheltered life which is you know i mean that's a vu outtake too so it's like he's kind of kind of digging into digging into this stuff yeah that song is hilarious (laughs) sheltered yeah exactly (laughs) uh, yeah you think he's some some tongue-in-cheek lyrics uh from lou in this one well, I mean, uh, that's that's a funny thing because I was like, I mean, listening to those those um, the music and the 1965 release that just came out, I'm like, Lou Reed was like, he was like a novelty writer, you know, like yeah. I mean, their songs. He was like, he wrote novelty songs sometimes. Yeah, buzz, buzz, and buzz. Even, <laughs> well, buzz, buzz. But I mean, even the way that like Waiting for the Man is on that, I'm like, it's kind of like like I've you know I've like written like very serious things about that that song and how it's like you know a metaphor for everything that <laughs> could exist and then i'm like oh it was kind of like a joke to yeah it. he and john are putting on like a little radio play or something almost in that yeah, yeah. it's so fucking yeah. funny oh, which is goodness. just a strange like you know i mean he and yeah there's a few other there's the the buttercup song buttercup on that song yeah. it's just kind of like i mean he's like he's writing joke songs don't get emotionally involved with a man or a yeah, yeah, yeah. Woman, woman or a beast, a beast or a child, or a child. Yeah. <laughs> that is good advice yeah it's uh, you know it's the real the real deal but yeah sheltered life is the same deal i think it's just kind of like like i can write this sort of like i don't know like kind of comedy song right um, yeah like he'll, he'll do that again and again i i was comparing it last episode to um 
uh, average guy and uh, women and like these or other like songs beginning that... of a great adventure like that yeah, sort of exactly. thing it's that kind of thing uh, that like... song is complicated oh, so maybe the most personal song he's ever written yeah too, <laughs> but it is it's very funny but it's also like yeah that one in particular but it just goes to show that he doesn't um those things even his his comedic songs unlike someone like you know weird al much as we uh, all love him he does not you know it's a different thing where lou is confident enough as an artist to get laughs but not be looking for them like they come naturally because what he wants to write about ends up being funny in a way, yeah. but um, he's it actually has like a seriousness that really guides it from the first place. Well, I mean, I mean, you could, I mean, again, you could probably could make a make a argument that Sheltered Life is like like a totally personal song to Lou Reed. Yeah, I mean, he you know grew up in the suburbs in Long Island. You know, like it's like. He's a he's a guy who <laughs> was yeah. at least at some point he could he could probably like envision himself as that guy even right. though he wasn't that guy he could be like like yeah I am you know like I could have been a guy who just you know like had a straight life yeah um, and it's not entirely <laughs> I mean it's satirical but it's not entirely out of the question for him you know like that's yeah. what his parents probably wanted. It's almost like the song, like when he wrote the song initially, like there was there was very little irony to it at all. It was like almost, you know, kind of like, you know, pretty straightforward, straight faced. But 1976, Lou Reed singing that <laughs> He's song. He's seen a lot. Exactly. <laughs> That's where the dramatic irony comes is when it was written 12 years earlier versus when it's being performed in this context. So, yeah. And then and then you get like these these like you get more of the rock and roll heart stuff, which are these more kind of. I mean, you wear it so well as like, I don't know what that song is like. We were saying it's like light, like Diet Berlin. Or, yeah, or like a, like sort of a perfect day. Yeah, like kind of dramatic. It seems kind of underwritten to me. Oh, it's very underwritten. I think we we didn't (laughs) use that word when we talked about it, but like, come on, you wear it so well. And claim to fame, like yeah. a lot of the songs on Rock claim to fame Heart, is fire. This especially this like fucking it. version. I, the, okay, the horns. don't oh, man. don't disrespect me <laughs> by making me feel like uh, I'm dissing the song by saying it's underwritten. Like <laughs> underwritten can be a creative choice. Underwritten that, is okay. That works. You know, it's like it's like saying a steak is undercooked, but it's rare. That's that's exactly how that's you want it, baby. Yeah, you know, <laughs> ain't you that a claim to fame? Yeah, these songs have never like. I mean, well, you know, there are a few songs on Rock and Roll Animal that I mean, I you know that I was listening to, or ro- not Rock and Roll Animal, Rock and Roll Heart. Sorry, how dare you make that mistake, yeah. Tyler? Come on, you're, you represent fuck? yourself as a Lou Reed yeah. expert. Um, <laughs> I mean, I was kind of you know I was listening to this this recording. I was kind of wishing that there was a version of. Um, uh, what was it? The Chooser and the Chosen. I don't know. If oh yes, that hell yeah, <laughs> that would be sick. Um, but you uh, know, I was, I was like, this is pretty good. Um, and yeah, I mean, maybe even follow the leader. I don't know if he ever played that in the. You know, he played with asked... the Velvet Underground, but he didn't play it with this band. I don't think. Right. He could have. I, I... I asked oh, this yeah. on the last show, the Rock and Roll Heart uh, show. What do you think? It t- what do you think is the most well-known Lou Reed song from Rock and Roll Heart? Because like, 
Rock and Roll Heart. Yes, it's I don't think question. anybody knows any songs from no, Rock and Roll Heart. Yeah, it, it feels like such a weirdly memory-hold record, and, and especially yeah. for how, like, just kind of anodyne and, like, unremarkable it is. You know, like, like if it were a Metal Machine music-type fuck you, like, it would make sense for it to be a memory-hold, but it's so just, like... Yeah. Not boring, no, it's, but it's, like it's like asking someone at, on the street, like, "Oh, you know, together through life, what's your favorite song on it?" Right. I, I just, I keep feeling song? like there's a puzzle that I haven't solved with Rock and Roll Heart, and I just, and and but, and I think there isn't a puzzle ultimately, but oh, I, I can't, the puzzle I can't is actually get it through my alternate head. Mix. <laughs> the alternate <laughs> mix. Just the like alternate the, mix. I honestly, I honestly think that it, it, it is, it is a, a, a very, a, a significant improvement on on this record it sure. makes you it makes you hear the record better the the vocals are better the i don't know the, the everything just sounds better on it i don't know temporary thing i guess maybe is a song that would have been something that people i mean temporary no, thing is probably the most significant song off the record no question but yeah like well-known sort of like it feel like he just like just discarded the entire record basically after 1976 yeah yeah, no, I mean he. Well, no, actually, that's it's not entirely true. Ah. Um, in on the Lulu tours, mm-hmm. he was playing "Senselessly Cruel." What? <laughs> Jesus, Can you believe that? <laughs> that's like that's like Dylan busting at dignity or something. That's he sick. Wasn't, he Damn. wasn't playing, and he wasn't just playing "Senseless." I feel like it's like Dylan like busting version, on Mozambique. <laughs> the and versions like I have of it. Are like maybe like ten minutes long too. Oh my god! I think god. he plays it forever. Holy like two shit! Chords. I gotta look up one. Of those, some but. people would say that's senselessly cruel to the audience. <laughs> might have been, might have been what he was going for. I'm not sure. He's making um, them take a walk on the wilds. Oh, Jesus that's right. fuck! Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm uh, just kind of <laughs> taking us into a crash landing with this episode. <laughs> That's a great but, version of Wild Side. You know, no we do claim it. to fame, and then we do Walk in the Wild Side. It's, it's kind of like, it's a relief to hear it in a way, you know, because it's like ah oh, something familiar. But it is about as far afield from the original as you could get. Um, in some ways, it's pretty. Yeah. Well, it's another I mean, opportunity where the band sort of just fades, and they let Cherry just cook. Yeah, yeah. I think I think Don Cherry sounds good on it. I think that's even him. Um, doing the dupe to do's at the end. The backgrounds. Uh, yeah, I think yeah. that's Don. Um, I could be wrong about that, but I think I think it is him. Um, and yeah, I like it. I like, but I also am not crazy about. I mean, you know, it's like they're they're kind of shuffling along, and they come to the Candy Darling verse, and he's like, you know, everybody's like, all right, we're hearing Walk on the Wild Side, and he says, she died of leukemia, you know. <laughs> Yeah, that's a fucking wild and line that he like, slips in like, there. Yeah. Okay, cool. That's good. My... And then I believe I believe he does use the N-word. He does. Wait, 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 wait. He does? When? He does. The the I don't know, like three, four minutes in. And the uh in girls go do 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 I believe he does. I mean that? you guys will yeah, just once, just the one t- he he says colored by the end of it when he comes back to it. I guess so. I assume that you guys are gonna do a whole maybe like three or four episodes about I wanna be black as Oh a- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with with Lou Reed, if we just want to address this very briefly, I would say that it's like I stand by this idea of it being thoughtless. Like I think that he's basically like he's not making a stance. He's just being like provocative i guess the main thing that i would even just be like that 
is i mean i think as you said like the actual like thought thoughtlessness that lou had with this sort of thing is sort of like is maybe the most disappointing thing if he was maybe you know like potentially exploring these things and maybe slightly more thoughtful ways you'd be like okay he was kind of trying to do something but i will i mean i will recommend that you know the the if we can end on a high i mean that we mentioned it but that heroin the version of heroin that is um on the between thought and expression yes, yeah. box set um from this from the same uh set uh at least as far as i as far as i know i'm pretty sure it's the same set um i think that it was broadcast but maybe just didn't get onto the bootleggers uh, thing is i mean it's it's one of the best versions of i mean i i'd say it's probably the best version in the 70s of heroin that i've ever heard mm. um he may have done pretty good versions post well maybe in the 90s he had some good versions the vu reunion one is good um, but this one is like a powerhouse i mean it's of like, heroin yeah the vu reunion one is amazing yeah i mean that's great too um this one i mean it has a sort of amazing the the horn like cherry is doing sort of a melody with uh, marty fogel in the background of this and then lou just sort of has this insane build up at some point that is you know i mean i heard it when i was a kid and it's still whenever i hear it i think like it's like the craziest you know most wild intense thing i've ever heard um and it's just sort of like you do i feel like that recording you get a real sense of like this tiny club that he's just <laughs> really like like uh you know like everybody you can feel almost everybody kind of like move back from him which is right. impressive <laughs> yeah it's an impressive like a, feat. it is like the moment of like sort of uh, you, know, you get to catch your breath and like you know yeah, yeah, it's really this quiet space in this time yeah exactly it's 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 especially contra like everything else that's going on in the set which is just wall-to-wall -wall fucking cocaine yeah. psychosis basically um, yeah this one feels like it's like maybe the sun is coming up <laughs> and everybody's exactly. like oh shit yeah, time to go fucking <laughs> time to go home we, we may we may have gone on too long here we may have may have stretched things out a little bit longer than we should have. Um, yes. And that's yeah, I mean, exactly it's... what we've done on Jokerman Podcast, folks, <laughs> as we often do. You guys can chop this down, right? <laughs> yeah, we're going to we'll chop be a little, it down. Uh, be a little discerning <laughs> with certain parts. Um, thank you so much for joining us again, Tyler, and for bringing this uh, this beautiful Lou Bootleg into our lives. How many st it's Out great. of three, how many, how many stars would you award it? I give it three. I love listening to it. I find it sort of um upsetting but i mean i feel like it is the sort of thing where yeah like i hear it and i kind of it it makes me pay attention i've listened to it you know like i like you guys i listen to a lot of music i listen to a lot of stuff and so there's sometimes where things get you know like i just feel like i've i've started listening to background music or something but it's something that always makes me pay attention and think about even if there's stuff in it that i'm like like yeah i'm not crazy about this but i'm always like like wow it is kind of amazing right <laughs> so it's you know it's one of those shitty things where it's like maybe it's not that great but it is fucking great <laughs> it is great yes. i mean i give it two stars and i want to give you a, a reason why a quick re rundown why it's just i already said it but you know I, I love what it is, but I, I just know that there's other things I love, like one star more from Lou Reed, as far as a live performance goes. 
fucking I don't even like doing the star things. Like I don't even want to rate anything. <laughs> You're I the one that invented it. the three star system. Yeah, but the whole right, thing right. about the three stars was that it was a Pull joke. Up the pressure. <laughs> exactly. It's a joke. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, I saw you guys I saw you guys complaining about the pitchfork. The, uh, the pitchfork review Buh. and i didn't actually read the review i didn't i mean i, I don't Re- I the I review the written words on the page totally right. fine it's okay exactly yeah, the review actually had a really nice ending that i thought was like really poignantly and nicely written and like, sure, the yeah. reviewers never have any say whatsoever over the fucking stupid decimal point number that goes but up the, the decimal p- that's what gets me it's like <laughs> okay like if they had just said seven out of ten i'd be like i would not be mad i would be like Okay, st- silly, but like, sure, like it's for die. They'd be like, it's I for die, diehards only. Like, you should like li- listen to this if you really care. It's like, yeah, fine. That's like the boilerplate thing. But the fact that they say seven point three, you are you are drinking mercury. Like you are crazy. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I feel like it, it's it's a good argument just not to have. I mean, especially for somebody who's a you know, like I mean, yeah, it, it's arguable this is like you know barrel scraping or something for putting out somebody's you know juvenilia you know like doing all this stuff you you know you could make a perfectly good argument that it's like not like good i don't know like i, I mean, mean you know, like, like you could get you could get into it but like if you're talking about like the whole context of of this it's like as important as anything you know it's like it's incredibly important yeah (laughs) and and to whom are you awarding the 7.3 because it's not like (laughs) lou reed was the one like making this artistic statement and releasing this record and wanting to like you know uh uh uh, earn the plaudits of of fucking internet reviewers 65 years down the road like this is just like a a, like you said incredibly important historical document that was pulled out of the fucking ether that no one even knew existed exactly (laughs) jesus christ sickos uh three stars for lou reed claim to fame live at the roxy as far as i'm concerned uh you know live shows uh, we always got to remember we don't know right, what it was like three. to be in the room. Uh, we don't know what it was like to be in the room. And uh, anytime you hear a live bootleg or a live record, for that matter, you're always you're always one level removed. Uh, you know, all the cool people in the audience were going out to have smoke breaks and, and chill. Oh my god, yeah. You, know, you were smoke. You weren't going out to have a smoke. You were you were just blasting cigs in the venue. What are you talking oh, about? Going right. out to have smoke breaks. This was a different time. It was uh, another maybe time. You're, maybe you were going outside to uh, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Do something else. Yeah, yeah, you didn't. Nobody was going outside to do anything. They were just they were doing dicks, it all right there and cracked, <laughs> the, ripping lions and and blasting cigs. Seeing which prostitutes were on the Sunset Strip at that night. Yeah. You know? If I were in the room for this show that night, my mind would have been fucking blown, and I would still be talking about having been. It's not all would have been blown. Sixty <laughs> years. Oh boy, I I should be so lucky. Uh, oh, I should be so lucky. <laughs> incredible moment in history, incredible document of Lou Reed on December 1st, 1976, live at the Roxy in Los Angeles. Tyler, thank you so much. Uh, you got plugs for the folks at home. I don't know. Look at uh, aquariumdrunkard.com. That's a good one. Doom and Gloom from the one, Tomb. From so the Tomb. Is I love the, Doom uh, and Gloom. Every time I see something posted on there, I... I, I shout with joy. It's so good. There's always good stuff. I'll probably, you know, I'll probably be putting up that alternate mix of rock and roll heart. So please do. <laughs> uh, I think I've, I've been given the go ahead by the powers that be to do this. It's not coming out. No one's, no one's clamoring for a uh, deluxe 
you know, like 10 disc reissue of rock, rock and roll. Hard yeah, every moment. cut of every session of rock and roll hard, <laughs> like fucking, it's Highway it's 61. <laughs> Joker Man. Heroin It's my wife and it's my life Stone. 